Hear the word of the Lord from Mark 8, 1 through 21. In those days, there was again a large crowd, and they had nothing to eat. He called the disciples and said to them, I have compassion on the crowd because they've already stayed with me three days and have nothing to eat. If I send them home hungry, they will collapse on the way, and some of them have come a long distance. His disciples answered him, Where can anyone get enough bread here in the desolate place to feed these people? How many loaves do you have, he asked them. Seven, they said. He commanded the crowd to sit down on the ground. Taking the seven loaves, he gave thanks, broke them, and gave them to his his disciples to set before the people. So they served them to the crowd. They also had a few small fish. And after he had blessed them, he said, these were to be served as well. They ate and were satisfied. Then they collected seven large baskets of leftover pieces. About 4,000 were there. He dismissed them, and he immediately got into the boat with his disciples and went to the district of Dalmanatha. The Pharisees came and began to argue with him, demanding of him a sign from heaven to test him. Sighing deeply in his spirit, he said, Why does this generation demand a sign? Truly, I tell you, no sign will be given to this generation. Then he left them, got back into the boat, and went to the other side. The disciples had forgotten to take bread and had only one loaf with them in the boat. Then he gave them strict orders, watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. They were discussing among themselves that they did not have any bread. Aware of this, he said to them, why are you discussing the fact you have no bread? Don't you understand or comprehend? Do you have hardened hearts? Do you have eyes and not see? Do you have ears and not hear? And do you not remember when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000? And how many baskets full of leftovers did you collect? Twelve, they told him. When I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many baskets full of pieces did you collect? Seven, they said. And he said to them, don't you understand yet? This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, thank you. All right, it's good to, to be with you all. Uh, this week, I, I missed you guys last week. I want to thank John for preaching. It was a good sermon, bro. Appreciate that, man. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Yeah, I'm going to reference a little bit of it, of it today, but it was good. Um, one of the things I noticed as I was preparing to, to preach this sermon, you know, we're going uh, through the book of Mark, you know, systematically, and I, as I was preparing to preach this sermon, I thought to myself, Am I going to talk about stuff that I already talked about? Because there's a lot of similarities <laughs> with verses that I've already co- covered. And I kind of struggled with that uh, for a little bit. But then uh, I, I kind of uh, remembered this theme in the text of Scripture, which ironically is about remembering. That could have been a poem, right? Um, the idea is this, is that consistently in the text of Scripture, the Lord is calling his people to remember who he is, to remember what he has done. And most of the time when they are, are veering off to the left or to the right is because they have forgotten something, which as we read it, we think, well, why did you forget that? But we find ourselves in the same situation, too. That we'll be going through life and and we'll be experiencing some sort of struggle. And there's this fundamental truth that if I asked you, you would say, well, yeah, I know about that. But we're not remembering it at a heart level. And we don't remember who Christ is and what he has done. It trips us up. And we are stuck in spiritual immaturity. 
However, in this text, we can learn that that disciples of Jesus pay attention to Jesus, his actions, and his teachings so that they may have joyful confidence and grow spiritually. Paying attention and remembering who Jesus is and what he has done helps us to have joyful confidence and helps us to grow spiritually. Let's ask for his help. Jesus, please help us understand your word. Open up our minds, open up our eyes and our ears so that we might understand your scriptures. Lord, we thank you that you are so patient with us and that you will sit and you will explain to us what we need to know. So Lord, would you, would you guide my words this morning so that we, we may receive what you want? In Jesus' name, amen, amen. There's a couple of things I want us to pay attention to as we look at the text. The first thing, we look at the first three verses that we need to pay attention to the compassion of Jesus. Now, again, as I was preparing the sermon, I thought, I just preached this. Well, if it's in there multiple times, the fact that Jesus has compassion, then we need to zone in on that and think deeply about this and remember that. In verse 1, it says, in those days, there was again a large crowd and they had nothing to eat. He called the disciples and said to them, I have compassion on the crowd because they've already stayed with me three days and have nothing to eat. If I send them home hungry, they will collapse on the way, and some of them have come a long distance. You know, it's, it's very interesting. A lot of times the traits that you associate with, with leaders of large groups, is the decisiveness, boldness, clarity, clear direction. But, but the trait that we have to associate with Jesus because the scripture brings it up time and time again is his incredible compassion. These are one of the attributes of Christ that stick out the most as we study who he is in the scriptures. See, Christ has more power, more intelligence, more wisdom, more authority than any leader who has ever existed. Yet the Holy Spirit is constantly highlighting to us his care for those who are in trouble and those who are weak. And beloved, you need to remember that at your point of weakness. Because at your points of weakness, you are you're thinking, does he care? Does he see? Is he there? We would go back to text and say, no, no, one of the most consistent things that we can say about Jesus is that when we are at our low points, when we have been struggling, is that his compassion goes out to us. He looks at us with eyes of concern and care. I love when the scripture talks about compassion. It's not just a, a, a mental exercise. It, it involves, it involves the, the heart. It involves the, the, the soul, that, 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 that pit in your stomach when you feel things real deeply. That's the compassion of Jesus. And not only does Jesus have compassion in general, he has special compassion for those who sacrifice for his sake. Remember what he says? He says, these people have been with me for three days. I see the sacrifices that they have made to follow me. It wasn't easy. And because I've seen their sacrifice, I want to make sure that they know I care about them. He carries the concerns of those who follow him in his heart. So you need to know that Jesus sees your suffering, that he sees your service, 
that he sees your sacrifice, that Jesus has plans to care for you now, and he has plans to care for you into eternity. And at this very moment, as I was getting ready, I was, I was very tempted to speak of the temporal evidences of his compassion, the things that he does for, for us in this life that remind us of his care. And those are true and those are good. But the scriptures focus more on the eternal evidences of compassion, that, that he has plans to pour out love and grace and mercy on us for ages and ages and ages to come. Another reason why I think that we should focus on on these eternal evidences of compassion is because I think about those who follow Christ who are suffering right now. They don't always have the promise of temporal comforts. But, But the presence of the Holy Spirit and the promises of the life to come are sufficient for them. You know, one of the things that I do uh, right now, as part of my, my, my things I do every day, is I have this app. It's, it's called the Voice of the Martyrs. And, and every day, it, it gives me a particular people to pray for. Uh, some Christians in some part of the world where, where it is dangerous, sometimes uh, life-threatening to follow Christ. And, and I read these stories, and I'm thinking, man, what in the world? It must be so hard to follow Christ if your family or your country or your people are against you and are willing to sell you out. But then I think, man, does not Jesus have compassion for them? Beloved, he does. I know that Christ pours out his spirit abundantly to them and that there is, there is a treasure house of compassion and deliverance waiting for them in the life to come. Beloved, he sees our suffering and he will care for us. So we have to pay attention to his compassion and we also need to pay attention to his consistent provision. Look at verse 4. He says, his disciples answer him, where can I get enough bread? Where can we get enough bread in this desolate place to feed these people? How many loaves do you have? He asked them. Seven, they said. He commanded the crowd to sit down on the ground, taking the seven loaves. Oh, lost some six. Taking the seven loaves, he gave thanks, broke them, and gave them to his disciples to set before the people. So they served them to the crowd. They also had a few small fish, and after he blessed them, he said to them, he said these were to be served as well. They ate and were satisfied. Then they collected seven large baskets of leftover pieces. About 4,000 were there. He dismissed them. Now, if you're reading through the book of Mark, one of the things that should kind of jump out to you right in the beginning is, why didn't the disciples remember that Jesus already fed thousands of people with with small portions of food? Like, we're in chapter 8, and and chapter 6 is when it recounts that miracle. Like, when Jesus said, you feed them food, and they look around and go, oh, snap, I don't know if we have enough. They should go, well, you remember that time where he told us to feed people, and we didn't have enough food, but then he somehow multiplied it, and we carried a lot of baskets uh, left over. Like, it's it's really interesting. You should go, well, why, why in the world don't you remember that? Did it not just happen? But then I consider my own life. And how often I forget the Lord's provision. Too too often, listen, this is my personal confession. My own anxiety makes me fear about the Lord's provision. I think about something that that I want our church to do, and I'm like, oh, we could do that thing. I'm like, are we going to have enough resources for that? 
Are we going to have enough people? Whatever the resources are. And I need to be reminded constantly about the past faithfulness of God. Y'all, this happens in elders meetings all the time. I'll, I'll come up with, with this idea. And I'm like, hey, let's, I kind of want to try this thing. But in the back of my mind, I'm like, I don't even know if we can do that. I don't even know if we got the fun. I don't know if we got the people. I can't, is that going to work? And then the other, other elders are like, don't, fool, like, don't you remember <laughs> like, how often and how abundantly the Lord has provided for us over and over again? I'm like, oh, yeah, that is right. <laughs> it is right. He has been ridiculously abundantly uh, 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 providing for us all the time. Listen, I need to remember that, and you need to remember it too. Because they're going to they're gonna come times in your life where the anxieties of, of the stresses and the hardships are going to kind of come crushing in on your soul. And you're going to be so focused on that thing at hand that you forget to look back and say, well, remember when he provided for me in this way and in that way and in that way and in that way. And then you could find yourself filling a list of ways that the Lord has supernaturally provided for you. But in that moment, you forgot. Beloved, we have to pay attention and to remember his constant and consistent provision. And I covered this in, in the last time we, we talked about feeding a large crowd, but I just needed to say it again that we need to remember that when serving the Lord, we just bring what we have. And we trust the Lord to do the work of growth and multiplication. Like, like Jesus goes, yo, feed these thousands of people. They're like, well, we got like seven pieces of bread. He's like, I'm not concerned about that. You just bring what you got. You bring what you got and you trust me with the rest. God is not looking at how much you have to invest in his mission. He's just saying, will you invest what you have? Maybe you think it's small. Maybe you think it's puny. Maybe you think it's not sufficient. But beloved, we just offer what we have and we trust the Lord to multiply that thing. I fear that sometimes we, we, we spend so much time thinking about what we don't have or the limitations that we have. I don't have enough this. I don't have enough money. I don't have enough time. I don't have enough talent, whatever it is. I don't have enough of whatever. But, but no, instead of just going, actually, let me just, what do I have to give? Maybe it might be small. Maybe somebody else might think it's insignificant. But I can give what I have, and I can trust the Lord to multiply it and use it to bless many people. Listen, we can't be afraid to offer what we have to the Lord. And sometimes we think what we have to offer isn't all that good. I'll give you a really concrete example. Somebody asked me the other day, they said, do you feel uh, gifted for student ministry? I said, no, <laughs> I do not. <laughs> but I just show up <laughs> and trust the Lord's going to do something. I, I, I was uh, talking to Shanice. She's like, I don't feel gifted in, in student ministry. And, and she's like, but the Lord, he just called me to come and show up. And he uses that. Don't focus so much on what you lack or how you're not gifted. Just, just, we just show up and offer what we have. And we trust the Lord to use it. So we pay attention to the compassion of Jesus. We pay attention to his consistent um, provision. We also need to pay attention to what frustrates Jesus. Look at verse 11. The Pharisees came and began to argue with him, demanding of him a sign from heaven to test him. Sighing deeply in his spirit, he said, why does this generation demand a sign? Truly, I tell you, no sign will be given to this generation. Then he left them 
got back into the boat, and went to the other side. You know you'd have frustrated somebody when they just left. You know, like, bye. You know, like, I'm getting on my boat, and I'm going somewhere. You didn't frustrated me so much, I don't even want to see you no more. Now, we need to pay attention. The reason that they asked for a sign was to test or to tempt them. It, it, it wasn't that they needed something. It wasn't that they trusted him deeply. They, they just wanted him to perform a trick. I'm, I'm really curious, Jesus. Can you do this little magic trick? I want to see if this, is, if this is real, if this is true. See, Jesus is not interested in doing tricks to satisfy our curiosity or our ungodly desires. Now, here's the thing I, I noticed. So they came periodically, and they would ask him for a sign. But here's the thing. If they would have followed him consistently, they would have saw it. Like, if he was, the, like, what happened, what happened just before? If they would have just consistently followed him, they wouldn't have to ask for any signs. They would have seen it. They would have been like, oh, I remember that time where y'all only had seven pieces of bread and you fed a bunch of people. It's really interesting if, if, if you talk to those who follow Christ closely, they have story after story after story of God's provision. But then... You might talk to someone who's skeptical or has some animosity towards Christ, and they're like, I ain't never seen him done nothing. Uh, let me tell you, if you follow him consistently, you might see something. See, Jesus does not entertain that which is not in good faith. And let me explain what I'm talking about. I think you instinctively know what that is. When someone comes with a question for you and you know they're trying to trick you, or, 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 or stump you, you're like, why? Stop messing with me. Like, why are you messing with me right now? I don't want to do this thing. But, but listen, but someone can come to you with real genuous, genuineness and ask you a question. You're like, oh, I, okay, we can have a conversation. Listen, listen, there's a way to approach Jesus that is not sincere and that is not genuine. Does not come from a place of, of genuine curiosity, genuine need, but just wants an excuse not to follow him. You need to pay attention to the response to the scripture. Jesus says, well, go on about your way then. I don't have time for that. But if, if, you, if you genuinely want to know me, if you genuinely want to follow me, I will show you evidence. Jesus does not abide with those who do not welcome him in faith, but here's what you need to understand. God does honor something a theologian calls faith-seeking understanding. Anselm of Canterbury, like, who's that? He was this bishop way back in the day in the Middle Ages in England. He coined this phrase. He says, in his prayer, he's like, God, I, I believe you, but there's some stuff I don't understand. And so I'm not, I'm not asking you because I don't believe you. I'm asking you because I do. Help me understand what I don't understand so I can know you better. He had faith in God, but confessed there were some things that he didn't understand. Beloved, Jesus does not reject that. He does not reject good faith questions. He wanted to know more, understand more about God. So when you read the scripture and you see the story, you don't need to think that the fact that they questioned Jesus was not the issue. The posture of their heart was the issue. So, so you could read this passage and go, I better not ask any questions and you will be incorrect. The issue is about the posture of the heart. If questioning was taboo, then we wouldn't have a lot of Psalms, okay? Right? 
Why? Where? Who? And, you know, asking all these questions about God. But, but the base, and at the, the bottom of their heart, they had a faith in God, and their faith in God it propelled them to ask and to seek and to knock. Beloved, if we seek Jesus with true heartfelt sincerity, he's not going to reject us. He's going to show us his faithfulness over and over again. So we've got to pay attention to what frustrates Jesus, which is what? Questions that are not in good faith. You just want excuses not to follow him, so you challenge him. He don't like that. But if you're sincere, well, he draws near to that. So we need to pay attention to the compassion of Jesus. Keep that in your mind. Pay attention to his consistent provision. Pay attention to what frustrates him. And pay attention to the teaching that you receive. In verse 14, it says, The disciples had forgotten to take bread and had only one loaf with them in the boat. Then he gave them strict orders. Watch out. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the leaven of Herod. What is he talking about? Now, listen, I know that a lot of y'all don't make bread. Actually, my wife makes bread. That's one of the, when we got married, I was like, you make bread? You don't even go to the store? Anyway, but listen, the leaven, yeast, similar things, the spreads throughout bread. Look, I don't bake. I don't know how to explain it. The idea is this, though. There's, there's this substance that spreads throughout the, the bread, and it kind of goes to every nook and cranny of the bread. And, and what he's talking about is we get this in Matthew 16, 20, when he have the same story. He says, says, they understand that he told them to beware of the leaven and bread, so told them not to beware leaven, leaven and bread, but the teaching of the Pharisees. So what he's comparing leaven to is teaching. And he's saying, listen, there's some teaching that's going around that comes from the Pharisees, that comes from Herod, that it might start small. You might think it's innocent, but it'll spread to every nook and cranny of your life and corrupt your thinking. That's why he calls it leaven, because it spreads slowly and thoroughly. So I needed to pause right here. What what would be the leaven? What would be the false teaching of the Pharisees? And what would be the false teaching of Herod? Let's take them in turn. I think the leaven or the false teaching in the Pharisees is that of religious legalism. Religious legalism. Legalism is, is this idea that, that they thought that God would accept them based on what they did. Now, this leads to two extremes. One, if you fool yourself to think you did it, like I've done all the things God loves me, that can lead to a prideful overconfidence. And you see that in the way they speak to Jesus. Show me his heart, Jesus. They have this prideful overconfidence, and they thought that they were pleasing to God, but their pride and, 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 and their snootiness, it was just very clearly seen, and it disgusted God. Now, if you fool yourself into thinking that your actions kind of earn a place for you in God's presence, that's prideful overconfidence. But then if you, the opposite side is thinking that, oh man, I haven't done enough good things and, and, and God is not pleased with me. And that leads to crushing despair. And you can see that in how, how they dealt with those whom they classified as sinners. They would heap condemnation and would want to crush them with expectations that they themselves could not even fill. And when someone has really bought into this idea of legalism, this idea that the good things that I do is really what earns my, my, my place into heaven, my place in God's presence, one of the things that you can see is harshness. The, the prideful idea that you have earned God's favor makes you harsh to those who you think have not. 
So you see that, 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 that leaven, it, 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 here's the deal. The reason it's leaven is, is it could start good. You might want to do good things. Doing good things isn't bad, but doing good things as a means to earn your way into God's presence and his grace and his favor, that's that leaven that can spread, that, that produces religious legalism, produces harshness, and it produces a desire for power and control. Since God's favor is based on my performance, I must control every outcome so that I can ensure his blessing. If that's, if that's what I got, I got to control everything. I mean, me, me, me and my wife watched this uh, documentary the other day. It was called Shiny Happy People. So somebody has seen that. Okay. All right. So, so what's, what's going on there? Listen, if I, it, one of the things that's interesting is it, it, it follows this particular teaching. One of the things I never heard in any of the teachings, I ain't never heard nothing about the cross of Christ in any of it. It's all about expectations, and if you do this, then God will give you this. And, and what did it do? It produced this desire to, to control and to have power so that I could manipulate the game, per se, so that I could get the, the good stuff. He says, watch out for that. Then he also says, watch out for the leaven of Herod. Now, what is the, the leaven of Herod? See, Herod was one of the, the ruling families in Jerusalem, and he had made some, some deals with the broader culture, with the Roman Empire. And the leaven of Herod is what I want to call syncretism. He says, okay, we, we about this Greek thought. Well, let me take some of that Greek thought and let me mix it, let me mix it up together so that, that the world will think I'm wise or sophisticated or accepted. What does this mean? It means that, that, that I want to be accepted so much by the broader culture that I'm willing to kind of mush around and change and mix some of the beliefs that should not be. Yeah? We, we see this, this leaven when compassion is transformed into sexual license. Okay? So you're like, I want to be compassionate, I want to be loving, I want to be generous, and then your, your, your standards and, and your morals start to get more and more mushy in the name of compassion. It started out as a good thing, just like doing good things to earn, that's not necessarily a bad idea, but the idea of having compassion and wanting to appear acceptable and wise in the broader culture's eyes, that will begin to have an effect on you too. It'll leaven itself out. It'll begin to, to, to kind of go in different places. It's, it's, it's really interesting. Um, I, I gave you an example of the other one, so let me give you an example of this one. That the church ought not to take pride in what is explicitly condemned in the text. Yeah? So in the name of love, we should not celebrate actions where the text says that's not okay. Okay? And, and what's interesting is, is, is that we have this temptation towards extreme religious conservatism on one side, and then we have this temptation towards extreme religious progressivism on the other. And Jesus says no to both. Now, depending on how you were raised and what your disposition is, you're probably more prone to go one of the other ways. So you need to know yourself. <laughs> Am I prone to be harsh? Am I, am I prone to, to dot my T's and, and uh, uh, not dot my T's, cross my T's, dot my I's? Is, is that my prone? See, I'm not prone to that. <laughs> or or am, am I prone to let, let my, my desire for a wider acceptance kind of affect uh, what I hold on to be true or not? 
What's interesting is that the Pharisees and Herod and other, and other folks with Herod would be like the Sadducees, they actually hated one another. So those on the extreme side, they, they really disliked one another. But what's interesting is, is they agreed on one thing. They agreed that they didn't like Jesus. They wouldn't team together for a lot of stuff, but they would team together to dislike Jesus. So what this means is that, is that to follow Jesus means that you don't fit neatly into a nice little box. Yeah? And this, this means that, that we need to be careful of what we allow to be our primary influence. I want to I speak a little bit about this, this idea of deconstruction. I know you've heard this term a lot. The, the, the term itself, it, it really, it depends on who you talk to, what they mean by it. So sometimes it's a, it's a bit of an unhelpful term when you're trying to talk about something, but you have a definition and it's different than my definition. But here's this idea. The idea is that people are trying to examine the beliefs that they had, and they're using some standard in which to transform, reform them, change them. Listen, that in itself isn't necessarily bad. But what matters is the standard that you use to test your beliefs. Let me me make it plain. What I I would like to use, a a word that I I think is is helpful, is that we all need to be reformed. Now, not not this way, y'all think I'm talking about Calvinism. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about in the Reformation, they took their beliefs that they had received, and they looked at the text of Scripture, and they go, does it match? Does it match the, the content of the scripture? Does it match the tone of the scripture? Does it match the ethos of the scripture? Beloved, we all need to be doing that. We all need to take what we have received and go, does this match? Because whatever your standard of judgment is, that's actually what your beliefs will transform into. So if the standard of deconstruction or the standard of reformation is whatever the culture says is good at the time, you will begin to see that your beliefs actually don't contradict or confront anything in the culture. And then we've succumbed to some of that leaven that Jesus was talking about. So you should look at and examine what you believe. But it, it is very important about the standard you use to judge that. And the standard has to be Christ and his word. These impulses, they can start small. Maybe, maybe you're prone more to the harshest thing or whatever. It can start real small, but then Jesus says it begins to affect everything. See, we must desire the, the, the pure food of Jesus from his word. That's why we need to meditate on it and let it set the agenda. One of the things I love about preaching through books of the Bible is that depending on the week, I'm like, oh, that's going to make that person mad. And then the next week, I'm like, that's going to make the other person mad. <laughs> it's an equal opportunity offender, y'all. Like when we let the word of God set the agenda, you're not going to be fitting a lot of boxes because Jesus is Lord of every aspect of life. All right, we'll move on. So we need to pay attention, pay attention to the teaching that we receive. And here's the reason. Jesus gives understanding to his disciples that pay attention. Look at verse 16. It says, they were discussing among themselves that they did not have any bread. Aware of this, he said to them, why are you discussing the fact that you don't have bread? Don't you understand or comprehend? Do you have hardened hearts? 
Do you have eyes and not see? Do you have ears and not hear? And do you not remember when I broke the five loaves for 5,000, how many baskets full of leftovers did you collect? Twelve, they told him. When I broke the seven loaves for 4,000, how many baskets full of pieces did you collect? Seven, they said. And he said to them, don't you understand yet? Now, here's one of the things that kind of frustrates me about the way this conversation went. I really wish they would have understood the bread thing so Jesus could have expanded more on the leaven thing. On the, well, that would have been helpful. What you mean, Jesus, about the leaven of, of the Pharisees and the Herod? Can you, te- can you tell us more about that? But because they didn't perceive and understand, Jesus had to go back and review. Beloved, if we don't pay attention to what Jesus tells us, then we end up having to learn the same lessons over and over and over again, and we are not able to grow in our understanding spiritually. It's like they're on this merry-go-round. Jesus is like, can we go to the next thing? What happened over there? Okay, okay, look, do you remember when I fed y'all? Oh, yeah, you know, like, like if they would have just understood, they could have progressed and moved on. But listen, it's hard to learn more when you don't remember what you've been taught. See, the disciples missed the point about false doctrine because they did not remember the point about Jesus consistently providing for his people. He says we need seeing ears and, and, and seeing eyes and hearing ears that we need to remember and perceive what Jesus has done and taught so that he can teach us more. Beloved, I want to know everything that Jesus has to teach. And so I'm like, Lord, help me to remember what you have taught me so I don't have to do that again. I want to learn more. I want to understand more. I want to be able to obey you more. Help me to, 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 to Paul says, to, to understand the, the elementary things of the faith so that I can progress and learn more and more about you. You know, as, as we pay attention to the life and to the works and the words of Jesus, we see that this all culminates into the cross and the resurrection. All the things that I said pay attention to, you can see in the gospel. When, I, when we talk about how he provides, can you not see his provision at the cross? That, 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 that we had lack. We, we had this, this lack of, uh, we didn't have forgiveness. We didn't, we didn't have peace. We didn't have life. We didn't have communion with God. And then, and then Jesus comes and he dies in our place and provides everything that we lacked. Yeah. Yeah. Do, do you not, not, not see that his compassion is evident on the cross? It's the culmination of his compassion. It says that greater love has, has no man than this than to lay down his life for his friends, we can see his abundant compassion at the cross. And even in the story of how it goes, we see that, that, that Jesus gives more understanding to his disciples through his resurrection. I want you to pay attention to this. The Pharisees did not see the resurrected Jesus, but the disciples did. The ones who had followed him did. And they said, we're witnesses. We saw it. Beloved, I have to believe that he was rewarding that faithfulness, the faithfulness of the disciples. Even though they had that hiccup right before he got crucified, he was all tripping. But I, he remembered the three years before. You know, <laughs> he showed mercy and grace. Does he not give more understanding? And listen, the cross directly confronts the leaven or the false teaching of the Pharisees and Herod. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 1, 22 to 25. It says, for the Jews ask for signs. That's about power. The Greeks seek wisdom. Oh, I, want, I want it to be palatable to the world. But We preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. Yet to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, 
Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom and God's weakness is stronger than human strength. So the one who desired power and control, they look at the cross and go, that looks real weak. How could God be pleased with that? And the one who desired to be wise in the eyes of the world, like that, you could have done a lot of things, Jesus, but ended up on the cross. That don't seem like the wisest way to go about doing it. Jesus turns them both on their head, that God's power is shown through the weakness of Christ on the cross, and, and, and God's wisdom is shown by the seeming foolishness of the answer for our salvation in the cross. Beloved, we look at his words, we look at Christ's actions, but most chiefly, we look at what he has accomplished on the cross through his death and his resurrection. Beloved, if, if we keep our eyes on that, we'll see his compassion. If we, could, if we keep our eyes on that, we'll, we'll see that he is providing everything that we need. If we keep our eyes on that, that'll protect us from, from, from false teaching, y'all. Love, if we keep our eyes on that, the Holy Spirit will give us more and more understanding. So the, the point of the text is that we need to pay attention to the works and words of Jesus. Then the question is, what practices could help us do that? I always like to make it practical. What practices? I got two for you. One is, is one I've been doing for some years now. Is I keep a journal. It's a journal of just prayers to the Lord. And I ain't going to lie, like I don't write in it every day. Writing it like a couple times a week. But what's so interesting is I remember at the beginning of the year when I was getting a new journal, I had a stack of journals that I just started looking through over the years. And I thought, man, I was really stressed that day. <laughs> but that thing I was stressed about, the Lord answered I'll turn to another like, oh, I was really thankful. Man, the Lord did show his grace and mercy to me. Listen, if you would just write down some of the things that you're thankful for and some of the things that you're stressed about, and you would go back and look, you would see God's faithfulness again and again. It also reminds me of areas of obedience. I'm, I, was, I was looking through the last couple of weeks, and I was like, there's that thing I said I need to do multiple times. I have not done it. <laughs> Oops, <laughs> like, let me obey the Lord. If you would just take, if you would just, with my Bible, I just keep some paper with it. And if you would just begin to write down some of the things that you're thankful for, some of the things that you're stressed about, and you would review it periodically, you would be reminded of God's faithfulness over and over again. And the other means of, of being reminded by God's faithfulness is, is fellowship, being with God's people. I can't tell you how many times I've been talking to a brother or a sister, and they're like, well, don't you remember when? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I was stressed about that thing, but yeah, you, you're right. Jesus does have it. I, I remember what he has done. I remember how he has worked. Beloved, you need those times of conversation where you sit down and, and you're, you're, you're conversating with a brother or sister, and you will find yourselves being reminded of God's faithfulness, sometimes reminded of God's faithfulness just by the presence of someone else that they are a gift to me. <laughs> I'm like, man, God, you're faithful because you brought this person right here. They are such an encouragement to me. Beloved, we got to do whatever we, we need to do so that we can keep the words and the work of Jesus in front of us. So may the Lord help us be disciples of Jesus who pay attention to Jesus, his actions and his teachings so that we may have joyful confidence 
and grow spiritually. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for your word. Lord, you are so good that you would communicate to us through your word. And you are so patient that you would remind us of who you are and what you have done over and over again. Lord, give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts that understand. Lord, that we would hide your, your word deep in our hearts, that, that we would remember regularly about your compassion and your faithfulness. Lord, we, we want to be disciples that have joyful confidence. We want to be disciples that, that grow spiritually. So by the power of the Holy Spirit, help us to consistently remember who you are. In Jesus' name, amen.